0: My guest today is Lisa Fabrega. She is a leadership coach who helps ambitious women expand their capacity to handle more growth, wealth, and success. For more than 10 years, she has helped entrepreneurs, corporate executives, Academy Award nominees, and Nobel Prize organization candidates break through boundaries that have been holding them back from their next level. Now, I'm personally a fan of her Capacity Code, which focuses on the capacity in addition to strategies, so what's actually needed to expand capacity to hold, handle, and receive more growth, impact, and success. It's a juicy conversation, so dive right in. Enjoy. Lisa, it is so awesome to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited, too, for a lot of different reasons. Um, I've been reviewing your website, and I think we're going to have a really juicy conversation. We align on a lot of things. I love some of the ways that you frame business, especially kind of your coined capacity series that seems to be this like repetitive flow throughout your work. So I really want to get into that. But before we get too granular, I would love it if you could just share a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey.
1: Sure. Well, it started back in 2008, during the whole market crash. (laughs) And um, I was working at a financial firm at the time as an actor in New York City. And when I have to sneeze, it just faded. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No worries false alarm. Um, But I was working in New York City as an actor. And um, at the time, you know, actors, you know, well, actors don't usually make a lot of money when they first start out. And so I had to have a day job. And I was working at this financial firm. And right before the crash happened, I realized I was kind of in a toxic environment. And I quit that job. And then the crash happened.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I was working at temp jobs. And I, I just kept getting promoted. And my problem was that the more I got promoted, the less time I had to go on my auditions as an actor. And the more people had a problem with me leaving during lunch to go on an, adi- on an audition. And so I started having the flexibility issue. And I ran into a friend on the street who was on Broadway at the time. And she said, Oh, I don't even have to do temp jobs anymore. Cause I started my own business and I'm coaching people and I'm doing really well with that. And I was like, Oh, I never even thought about that as a possibility. And so I looked into it. I enrolled in coaching school. I remember at the time it was absolutely terrifying decision because I had, you know, I had quit. I was working temp jobs and now I had to invest $8,000 into a coaching school, which at the time was a lot of money for me. And about six months into coaching school, I started taking clients and I started doing health coaching, thinking that That was the thing that I needed to do. But then I noticed that none of my clients really ever talked to me about food. And -hmm. that we were talking, usually it was these very high achieving women and men too. And they were wanting to talk to me about some of the issues they were facing in their careers and their businesses as they grew and as they kept going to their next level. And I started realizing, oh, I think my zone of genius lies here and not in telling you to drink a green smoothie in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so over the course of 10 years, you you start to see patterns of things that people complain about who are coming to work with you and plateaus that they're hitting and issues that they're struggling with. And that is where the whole capacity framework was born from, is just from working with thousands of people over the last 10 years and just seeing these patterns of how people get held back and how people get blocked in reaching that next level of their success, whatever that means to you. Uh, And so that's been my journey so far.
0: Wow, that's awesome. I love that. I love the evolution. I love that you took the big, brave step, you know, and left something that was secure and started embarking on kind of your passion, really, which flexibility and freedom are some of the two main reasons why we go into entrepreneurship to begin with. But um, it really sounds like you've hit your soul's purpose uh, as this continues to unfold, which is really exciting. I'm curious, with all of your experience, why do you think we have self-imposed ceilings?
1: Hmm, That's a great question. I think that it's multi-layered. I think, number one, it really depends on the environment you grew up in as a child. I also think, so for example, when I was younger, I grew up in a, in a developing country and it was super developing when I was growing up there. Now it's got like skyscrapers and it looks like Miami. I grew up in Panama, but when I was living there as a child, it was a dictatorship. It was, you know, there was a lot of poverty and my family adopted two boys, um, technically adopted, like they, they, they basically my mom ran into one of them on the street and he was starving and upset. My mom went and bought him groceries and she got really involved in their lives and they kind of became like our pseudo brothers. Wow. Cool. And just seeing that, um, you know, um, growing up in that environment seeing them struggle like my parents gave them gave them food paid for their schooling like and my parents did not make a lot of money at this time my mother was a teacher my father was just getting started in his career and just noticing how they still struggled because they had not been removed out of their environment yes because there was there was a tiny bit of support coming from my parents and then the whole rest of the world was this unsupportive environment so i think what's our environment as we're growing up, what are the things we're taught? Some of us don't have supportive families, right? Um, Some of us have families that hold certain beliefs that hold them down. And so they just pass them on without realizing that that's what they're passing on to their children. Uh, I also think we live in a world that can be very negative. Sometimes there's beautiful things in our world too. But I think that in general, you know, especially now if you look at some of the leaders we have in our world, they're not really good examples of positivity or um, integrity, um, or you know, pushing forward for a, uh, to uh, to love yourself enough to follow your calling. We don't really see that in our leaders right now, and so I think it's a combination of our environment, what we see around us, what we're told we can and can't do, what do we absorb mentally from our our culture, our communities, our families. I think all those things lead to self-imposed beliefs, and then we have our primitive. Um, the primitive physical brain impulses of fear and protecting ourselves that can go on overdrive when we don't learn how to work with those things in our body and in our brain, Um, which also it's, so it's, it's hard.
0: It's layered. It's very layered. And especially whenever you have something that goes back to childhood roots, environment, limiting beliefs and decisions, it does take some chiseling away and some chipping away at it. And so I do want to just encourage our listeners that it is a process, but even though it takes time, it absolutely can be done. Is there um, a tip that you have found that has had a strong impact when people are starting to recognize, one, they even have a limitation or they're hitting that plateau and getting kind of frustrated? How can they start um, lifting the lid a little bit?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, since you've kind of familiarized yourself with my capacity conversations videos, I find that just walking your way through that framework and asking yourself those questions and doing an assessment of where your capacities are. So what I define capacity as is your ability to hold, handle, and receive your next level. And and working on our capacity requires that we completely change how we see ourselves. So that's why you have millionaires who win the lottery who lose it all within a year because they got the money, but they didn't. They never expanded their capacity to hold, handle, and receive and deal with that money. And so their set point financially is maybe at like 50,000 a year and then they get 200 million and it's, they haven't done the work to expand to hold 200 million or to know what to do with 200 million. And so we'll naturally go back to our set points. And so what I like to do is just get really honest with yourself and I can walk you through the little assessment if you want.
0: Yeah, I think that'd be super helpful. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So there's six capacities. And so as I walk through these, I want you to kind of score yourself, where am I from zero to 10 in this capacity? And that's going to give you a really nice picture of, okay, these are the areas I need to start focusing on first. Because like you said, when we start tapping in, it can be very overwhelming looking at all the work we have to do to improve and grow. And we go, oh God, I feel like I have 20 years worth of work and then we just want to shut down and say, forget it. Yeah. So number one, money capacity. Money capacity is your ability to earn, save, and invest larger and larger amounts of money every year. Are you doing that? How would you rate yourself from zero to 10 on your money capacity? Then we have visibility capacity. It's your ability to allow all of you to be fully seen in your work.
0: That's a big one. I hear that often. I'm just going to pause you there because I think a lot of the listeners can relate to this piece where there is some fear about showing every aspects. We have a big base that brings in spirituality in their work. And I think that there is this trepidation of showing all the facets and the bumpy bits, the shadow bits, the woo bits, all of it. So continue. Oh my gosh, I love that you said
1: that because we do a virtual retreat just focus on visibility capacity. We do it like twice a year and that's the thing that always sells out the fastest. Like visibility is such a huge issue. There's so many fears we have related to really be allowing ourselves to be seen in our full talents and for who we really are. And yet it's also the most lucrative thing if you have a business around who you really are. It's the
0: secret sauce. <laughs> it is.
1: It is. Any brand expert will tell you that, right? But, you know, and and I love that you told that story about the spirituality because a story I like to tell about visibility capacity is I had this client who she was like doing pretty well in her business. I think she was making around $300,000 a year in revenue. And her big thing when she came to work with me on her capacity was visibility capacity. She had this whole intuitive shamanic side to her that she was completely hiding, like she was just doing business, like straight up business trainings. Mm -hmm. And we worked on, on getting her to feel safe and comfortable telling her people that she does this and integrating it into her work. And she had this event that she did every year that she would maybe get 85 people for every year. The year that she started talking about her intuition and her shamanic abilities and weaving this into her work and developing programs that really melded the business and this together she got 285 people for that event.
0: Nice. That's awesome.
1: It supports what you're saying perfectly. Yeah. So, so score yourself. Am I really allowing myself to be seen in my work? Zero to 10, give yourself a score. Now we go to purpose capacity, purpose capacity. I call it the inside matches the outside. So a lot of people build these big businesses because some coach told them that was what would make money but it's not aligned with their purpose at all. And so I often get women who have built these very successful businesses and they hate it and they want to leave and they feel depleted and depressed and they don't like it. And they think it means they're not supposed to be a business owner. No, it just means that you're completely out of alignment in your purpose capacity mm-hmm. with your work. And so in your purpose capacity is your inside matching with your outside. Nice. Give yourself a score on that. Now, my favorite one is embodiment capacity. Because embodiment capacity is your emotional, mental, spiritual, physical capacity. Um, and what I like to say about embody, uh, embodiment capacity is how thrown off do you get by negative feedback? How thrown off do you get by a difficult client? Yeah. Yeah. How thrown off do you get by negative troll comments on your posts on social media?
0: Does if it? you for a week. There's an issue there. Like you need a low score there.
1: <laughs> yeah, like if it takes you like several weeks to recover from that, or some part of you starts hiding because you're afraid to speak up now because somebody had a problem with it. Or if you are uh, launching something and you easily just lose it on your team because you're so stressed out, or you just feel like you can't handle Uh, some, you know, certain clients, like all that stuff is your embodiment capacity. Um, So score yourself zero to 10, how you doing there? And then the final two structural capacity, which is one people really overlook, and it's really important. I call structural capacity, the foundation for your, for your business and your life, like for what you want to create in your life, the solid foundations that are lifting you up. So a lot of people that includes your business team, your schedule, the way you schedule yourself, you know, the time that you give yourself for a certain task, but it also includes things at home. Like if you have a cleaning lady that comes once a week to help you clean your house so that you can maximize your time. Um, do you have a cleaning lady that's like really doing her job well <laughs> or his job? Well, right. Or are you kind of letting things slide and then having to clean up more after them after they leave? Because that's wasting your time and that's not good structural capacity because you're draining time here when you need to be putting it over here to reach your goal.
0: Absolutely. And I'm going to pause you before you get to your last um, step in this because I think that part of the reason why the structural capacity is overlooked especially in the female entrepreneurial space is because this is the masculine linear side of things this is the framework and the blueprints and the structures and the boundaries and all of that good stuff and it's interesting because when we're overly yin or overly tapped into that feminine flow it's so easy to just be like the universe has my back i'm just gonna flow with this i'm gonna stay tapped into my creative artistic but you're so right that this foundational piece is going to make you stronger. It's going to make you rise because you have something that's lifting you up. You actually have a platform. So, all right, let's hear the last juicy tip.
1: I love that. I just want to say something about that because what you said is so good. When I I had that attitude in the first three to four years of my business, and when I started to tighten up my structural capacity, my revenue just went poosh. So we need, I always say, it's like, if you don't have structural capacity, it's like you're building a mansion on a cardboard foundation.
0: So true. So true. And also not being afraid of the metrics because what we focus on expands. So we need to have those benchmarks. We need to have those metric goals and not like shy away from it of like, well, I'm working as hard as I can. So whatever comes in, comes in. Like just flipping and refining that kind of consciousness can be so powerful as you've already mentioned and seen.
1: And I think, yes. And I think the balance between like the feminine and the masculine energy there is yes, we can set goals. Yes, we have these metrics. But then we also have to kind of let it go a little bit, right? It's that balance because if we focus too hard on driving to those goals, we can completely miss our other wins and start feeling bad about ourselves. And that starts to affect our ability to perform well in our work. Good and point. so it's, that, it's like you, we need the structure and we need trust. So we need both working together. Um, so boundary capacity is the last one. So I want you to score yourself again, zero to 10 here. Boundary capacity is huge. And the reason I, I like to talk about boundary capacity is it's not really in the way that you think, because when we talk about boundaries, we talk about other people, but we don't talk about the boundaries we set with ourselves. And so a lot of times we'll, you know, set really good boundaries with other people, but then we don't stick to our schedule, or we allow ourselves to go down loopholes of thought that are very destructive and demotivate us. Or, you know, we don't stop at, well, I'm just going to watch an hour of Netflix, and then I'm going to get back to my work. You know, (laughs) instead, I'm just going to spend the whole day on Netflix and get nothing done, and then feel terrible about myself for three days, and then still get even nothing done because I'm feeling bad about myself. So boundaries with ourselves are really important. But the other thing here is the way I view boundaries. I don't view them as walls. Boundaries are what you are and aren't available for. So, how clear are you being at what you are and aren't available for, for? through your actions, through your business policies, through the way you communicate with your clients. Are you answering client emails at 2 a.m.? Are you texting client? Are you letting them text you at 10 p.m. and responding? Like, that's your boundary problem. That's what you're teaching your clients
0: to do. Um, And so model good behavior. And so it has to begin with us. I was enjoying one of your blogs where you were talking about hashtag boundary capacity, and (laughs) I thought it was really cool because it's something that I think, um, especially as people pleasers, we can struggle with because we want to be liked. And I think that these again, go back to very deep roots of oh my gosh, they've invested all this money in me. If you're a coach or a high service provider. And so it's almost like there's this feeling of maybe guilt or should, I should allow them to ask me a personal question. And to your story where someone was on a retreat and asked you about your personal life or your dating life. And it was like, Hey, boundary time, you know, and there was some disappointment on the other side because I think that there is an expectation that if I take a step closer to you, if I continue to invest, I'm going to get underneath and again, have some friendship or some intimacy. So I would love it if you could share more about that, because I think that this is a struggle that's really big for people and there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, So unpack it a little bit for us.
1: I love that you are asking this question and I really love what you said about being afraid of not being liked because I have to say that that's been one of the biggest things I've had to learn. You know, being in business as long as I have and being exposed to as many people as I have been, um, that's the biggest thing I've had to learn is to stop caring whether people like me or not for my boundaries. And the way I view it is you have to look at it like you are the mama or the papa of your business. That's what being the CEO is like. There's nobody that's going to care as much about your business as you are. You can think that you're hiring an amazing business manager or COO that cares just as much as you do. And you can you you may find them, but it's really your baby. Like it's your original thing. And so there's going to be a level of nuance to that caring that only you have. And the, the reason this has anything to do with boundaries is that I, I want you to look at boundaries if you're listening to this or watching this. I want you to... Look at boundaries as the way that you care for your baby. Ooh, so nice. that, was, that was a big flip that I had to make for myself mentally because I am a very outspoken person. I trigger a lot of people. I mean, one of my, my, my favorite things that a lot of clients who come to work with me say to me when they're on the sales call with me is, you know, I started reading you two years ago and I was so triggered by you. Wow. And I just want, like, I hear this all the time and I laugh now when I hear it because it seems to be a thread. And so, you know, I trigger people and part of my work was to be okay with that, Mm -hmm. to understand that it means I'm doing my job because I'm not here to talk about puppies and unicorns all the time. Like I'm here to actually help you get what you want. And that means sometimes like a parent, you have to set boundaries and rules on the kid (laughs) to help them not sabotaged, you know, to help them rise to their best potential. Um, And so when I started looking at boundaries as the way I care for my business, so for example, you know, on a productivity level, if I'm over here constantly having no boundaries with clients, like my highest level clients that work with you one-on-one, they get to text with me. Okay. So if I'm sitting here allowing them to text me at all times. And what I mean by that is they can text me whenever they want, but I'm going to respond when I have time. But if I'm just responding thinking I've got to respond to them, or they're going to be mad that they paid me all this money and I'm not responding immediately. If I'm in that space, think of the energy and the focus that's being drained in that direction and away from marketing more, getting on podcasts and talking to people and talking to new people that I've not met before, or, you know, helping a team member with something they're struggling with, or, um, you know. Closing another sale, like there's all these things that are business growth activities or career growth activities that I'm ignoring because I have these poor boundaries. Or if somebody's paying me a certain amount but they require me to work completely uneven to what they're paying me, I'm also draining my own energy because when we don't have even energetic exchanges when it comes to money and services, that's a hidden drainer. Of a lot of women who tell me they feel burned out and don't want to work anymore. It's not because they're working too hard, not necessarily. It's because they have no, don't have proper boundaries and their energy
0: is just getting leaked out in all these little interactions with people. Did you ever just wish there was a group of high vibe women entrepreneurs that you could hang out with? A place where you could share your wins, get a biz question asked and be around people that just get you. Well, there is my friend. It's my Women Developing Brilliance Facebook group. I created a place on the web where like minds and open hearts could continue the conversations that we start here on the podcast. Fulfill your desire to develop friendships with women from around the globe. Women who are on the solopreneur journey, just like you. Now more than ever, we are craving authentic connections. Believe me, your voice matters, your work matters, and having the support of a close-knit community can make all the difference in the world. So head over to Facebook and go to facebook.com groups slash women developing brilliance and request to join my private women developing brilliance Facebook group. The gathering place for heart-centered female entrepreneurs looking to create an impact, increase their income, and connect deeply with themselves and others in the process. I can't wait to welcome you in my Women Developing Brilliance Facebook group where you'll be encouraged to introduce yourself, ask a question, and meet other ambitious lightworkers just like you. Again, it's facebook.com slash groups slash Women Developing Brilliance. I'll catch you there. I love that you mentioned that. That is that is. I want to underscore that. That is so very important that people understand and step into the balance between the give and the take and the coach and the coachee, whatever that relationship is, the service and the monetary exchange. When that's not even, it does set you up for resentment and burnout. You were reading my mind because I was just envisioning burnout. I know a lot of people struggle with that. And it is something that we can control and we can shift. And I know in the very beginning part of my business, I was in that jump how high mode. I mean, it was like when the ding hit, it was like, oh, somebody needs me. And there's like an adrenaline hit. There's a chemical soup happening when you get this kind of ego boost that someone needs you. Like you're literally getting serotonin and cortisol getting in there. So it's like this little thing that um, is not so little. Like when you really start to unpack it, You may be thinking you're doing it in the vein of service and being the best at what you're doing and pleasing your client, but it is not sustainable. And it definitely sets you up for burnout and resentment. So I'm really happy we're having this conversation. I think it's really valuable. Me too.
1: And I love that you just said that because the other thing I want to add to what you just said is then you're also modeling bad behavior to your client. And then you're actually not being a good coach or a good service provider because they hired you to help them with potentially issues related to modeling good behavior. And here you are not doing that, right? So one of the biggest struggles of, you know, one of the biggest struggles is not getting sucked into your client stories, right? And just staying here. It just, it's just like a parent. Like I, I, I just keep thinking of this analogy, right? Like a kid, you know, I'm not just talking about clients as kids because they're not, but I mean a client or an issue in your business or you know a team issue. If they're if they keep asking you for lollipops and that's all they and you just keep giving them and that's all they eat all day, that kid is going to be sick at the end of the day and not grow developmentally because they're not getting enough nutrients. So sometimes you have to be the the person that says no, I'm not giving you the lollipop because this is you you hired me to help you eat three salads a day, <laughs> right? And yeah. so that's what we're doing. We're not eating lollipops, and you have to be okay with. I've had clients get really mad at me. So what I do is I, one of the ways that I create safety and security for myself around this is, first of all, I expand my capacity and do that work constantly internally. But the other thing is, part of that is setting up little frameworks from the beginning so that clients know they can expect to get mad at you. So I tell my clients, I guarantee you that at some point when we are working together, you are going to hate me (laughs) and you are going to be mad at me. And I love that. And I welcome it. And if you feel that way, tell me about it because nice, now yeah. they know they don't have to hide it and be ashamed of it because those conversations where they go, I'm mad at you. And then we dive deeper into that are the best conversations. They're the juiciest ones. It's where we find the breakthroughs. Yeah, so, and then I also know that I'm protected because they know to expect this to happen instead of like getting wrapped up in it and getting angry and projecting something
0: onto me. Right. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that process of all the different capacities. And once people get their score and they're, they're following along and they're taking notes to this episode, what is the next best step for them if they're starting to see a pattern of some lower scores and how do they start stepping in and increasing their capacity to rise to their best and highest self?
1: Yeah. So, well, we we did a quiz essentially today on the, on this podcast. So definitely look and you'll know, okay, wow, I'm really off in this area. Like that's where I've got to focus on next. And so you could, you could start asking yourself, like, what can I do to improve in this area? And also on my website, I have a series of free videos, which you have seen. Um, if you go and you sign up for uh, at com, right at the top where you sign up for my newsletter, if you sign up for that, you immediately start getting those those videos and the videos walk you through the capacities in greater depth and start to help you identify exactly how you're having that issue. So if you think you have a visibility capacity issue, um, it's divided into three chapters. I call it capacity flicks.
0: (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Oh, I love it.
1: Yeah. And the chapters walk you through like, this is what that capacity means. This is what it looks like in your life. This is how it's showing up for you. And what can things look like if you didn't have this capacity issue? So it's great. It walks you through everything. That's a great place to start getting
0: yourself educated and understanding your stuff a little better. Thanks, Lisa. I'll make sure to put the link in the show notes for sure. I want to circle back to something that I think, um, it's, I'm very curious about, I was watching one of your Instagram stories and you, um, referenced the medical medium and I'm very curious on how you integrate the spiritual mystical world in with your business.
1: Um, it's all over my business because I think capacity, I mean, one of the capacities is embodiment, which includes spiritual capacity. I think that, um, you know, one of the things, the greatest things I learned from my spiritual practices is trust, learning to trust and understanding that, you know, I'm sure that whoever's listening to this um, is similar to people in my audience too, which is you are an overachiever. You are type A, you want it all. Like you want to do your thing. And one of the biggest problems we have, I'm an overachiever too. So I completely get it. One of the biggest problems that we have as type A's overachievers is that we rev the engine so hard and we don't know how to slow down. And I was just writing about this today on Instagram. I got called out yesterday by three mentors in a row, like slow down, slow down. And I started laughing hysterically because I'm like, this is what I tell my clients. (laughs) And, you know, like spiritual practice teaches me to slow down. It teaches me to trust that you know, I put in my action, but then there's a whole unseen thing that happens where whether you believe in angels or ancestors or whatever you believe in, there's an unseen force. You know, it's like even the law of thermodynamics for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. There's something coming to meet you, right? To help that thing continue. And we d- we can't control everything. And so what I love about spirituality is that it really allows you to infuse your concrete actions and your goals and your plans with understanding that things have a process, that things take time, that we can't control when something's going to happen. The only thing we can control is how we react and how we show up to it and the actions that we take. Um, So that's a huge part. And then when I do retreats in person with people or virtually now uh, with people, Um, there are a lot of things that we do that we lean on, um, somatic practices, spiritual practices, and things that allow us to open up more capacity in the body. One of my favorite activities for clients when they're on retreat with me is taking them on what I call a sense walk. And we do a practice where we are basically expanding the ability to have presence, um, and using all of our senses to do that. Because when we're allowing ourselves to be present, we are giving ourselves space to process, and integrate all of the things that we have been like achieving, 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 achieving. But if we don't stop and go, let me let that integrate. We're not actually shifting ourselves internally so we can show up with the capacity for what we want. We're just egotistically checking off like items on a list and they're not actually becoming part of who we are. So
0: right into the embodiment piece that you were talking about. I love that presence saying, I love that you bring that into the mix. I think it's so important. And it also goes into the integration and the balance between the masculine and the feminine, between the strategies and the flow, trust, and intuition. So um, I'm seeing a theme, loving the theme, digging it. Um, I do have a curiosity around seeing how you spell women with an X. And I'm curious behind um, your thought process there.
1: Yeah, I use it interchangeably. Sometimes I spell it with an A or an E or with an X, um, just depends on my mood. But the women with an X was developed so that everybody feels included because there are some people who don't necessarily define themselves as how society would define a woman, but they still call themselves a woman, right? And we have trans women included in that. We have uh, a lot of black women like to use women with an X because they don't they don't identify with a white woman. Um, archetype. Right. And so it's just a way of being more inclusive to everybody because inclusivity and diversity is a huge value of my company always has been. Um, And so, yeah, that's why we say women because we want everybody to feel included. If you identify as a woman, you are welcome. And men are welcome too. If you identify as a
0: man, you're welcome. Yeah, I like that a lot. And so um and this is very interesting for me because it's something that I've been toying around with especially with the recent global events. It's really opened my eyes and you know, as I continue to educate myself on the black lives matter and and everything that's cracking open right now. We're really in a new paradigm. We have an opportunity to make changes and to be thought leaders and to to really educate ourselves as well so we can do better. And in that, I'm I'm wondering your thoughts on when people have a narrow niche and their their marketing is focused on female entrepreneurs as mine is, as yours is. Do you see an opening to change when we're speaking about inclusivity and diversity?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been see for me that what happened this year is like not new. Cause I've been doing this work for, since I was a child <laughs> and more specifically, you know, since the, like, I, I would say since the second or third year of my business, it's, social justice has always been a part of my work because uh, racism, um, the way people are showing up in this pandemic in ways that are really harmful to others, um, all of those things, those are capacity issues. Those are capacity issues. And so this has always been part of my brand and my work. I came across a blog post that I wrote back in 2018 when another black man was murdered by the police about that situation and how we need to, as leaders, the world, I'm going to say it this way. I know a lot of people are waking up now more than ever. And I'm noticing that because I've been in this fight for years and I've been frustrated with how, with how people continue to stay asleep. And I'm like, why are you not, Caring about this, but now I was like, Wow, a lot of people seem to have woken up more than I've ever seen. And I will say that I do think that something happened when this pandemic hit the world. And I don't think that we're, we are never going to go back to the way things were in December of 2019. We are irref- irrevocably changed. Agreed. And that means that, and I've been saying this for years, and now I feel like it's finally getting heard because people are ready to hear this, the world that we have stepped into requires different capacity from our leaders. And one of those capacities is having the ability to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. So it was a big thing when this broke out that I was that a lot of people in my community were responding to, which is, how are you showing up for this? Yes. How are you showing, like, are you feeling like you don't know what to say to your community
0: about George you- Floyd? And then the non-stance being a stance. I mean, that was like a mind-blowing thing, you know, just like, whoa, you know,
1: that is not as like, maybe that was okay last year in that world. And it was, but like I said, the world has changed. And in order to emerge as a leader in the new world, you have to have the capacity to have these conversations. You have to have the capacity to take a stance and make a bunch of people who might be racist in your community angry and even make people who, who are not aware of how they've internalized racism and getting a little triggered and uncomfortable. You have to be willing to make people uncomfortable because people look to leaders to be examples. And I always ask, are you happy with how you're showing up? And if you're not, you got to work on your capacity.
0: Absolutely. And so in that, and on that note, um, what are your thoughts in regard to the inclusivity and female empowerment? Uh, what, what specifically do you want to know about that? Um, the line between like, because I am so passionate about empowering women. And as I start to open my mind and see, um, okay, wait, should it be human empowerment? Mm-hmm. Should there not be a delineation right now as we start to be more inclusive? I don't, that's a really good
1: question. You know, I think this is, this can easily go into, you know, but we want all lives to matter eventually, right? And you know what? Like, I, I, sure, of course, all lives matter. Of course, all humans should be empowered. And there are groups within the groups of humans who have been disempowered for way longer and who the entire systems of the world are not built for. The systems in our world, the financial systems, the healthcare systems, all of these things are built for primarily white men, and then women come, white women come underneath that. And that's because we have, especially in the U.S., we have a foundation of our society built upon slavery and murder of indigenous people, and that's baked into the values of our country. And so we can't even, I think that it's okay to empower women because Women have been put behind men societally and structurally for a very long time. And so we need to do some extra healing in those groups of people. Black lives matter doesn't mean your life doesn't matter (laughs) if you're not black. It means black people have the entire freaking system of the United States set against them. And we have to correct those things so that we can all truly be equal. And only then when those things are corrected, then we can start focusing on all the lives to the same level of extent. So it doesn't mean that like wanting to heal one person. I I saw this amazing video on TikTok. that girl in front of the house. Have you seen it?
0: No, I haven't.
1: It's fabulous. This is, it's real fast. She's like in front of a house. That's perfectly fine. And she's like, Hey, what are you doing? And then she has another split frame of herself in front of a burning house. And she goes, Oh, we're going to go put this house fire out. And then the other person goes, well, my house matters too. And she's like, but your house isn't on, on fire, and she's like, But all houses matter, and she's like, But your house isn't on fire, like, we just need to go put this
0: fire out real quick. Yes, awesome. your house matters. So, that's awesome, it's so well answered. I think a lot of people have struggled with it. I wrestled with that myself. It definitely makes sense when you put it in the framework or just through the lens that. There are certain segments that need extra healing and it's just about shining light on those to bring them back up to like a par level. And we have to be
1: willing to see to power. Like here's, this is the other deeper issue is that a lot of people who have been in power become threatened when people who have been underneath them start to gain power because they think that they're gonna have things taken from them. Yeah, you are gonna have things taken from you, things that you shouldn't have had so much of to yourself to begin with. Right? And so that's another thing is you have to be willing to, to let go of some of these things and not hoard it all to yourself. And we all have to make those sacrifices for each other to make sure other people are not being harmed to make sure other people are, are well, I don't need $5 trillion (laughs) to myself. I'm happy to give $4 trillion of those away, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'll be fine on $1 trillion. I'll be more than fine, right? So that there's a whole other dynamic of power here. And I just want to say one last thing about female empowerment, because there's a lot of problematic brands in that as well that exclude Black women and Indigenous women and women of color. But I do think it helps to do healing on women because there are studies that have shown that women are... Like three to ten times, I forget the number, but it's like much more likely to donate portions of their salary to charities and community initiatives. Women have been shown to give back when they grow and make more money, much more than men. And I'm not putting men down, um, but it's something that um, I don't know if it's a societally indoctrinated thing in women. I I don't want to get into that conversation because that's so nuanced. But but it has been shown in studies that women tend to give back to their communities when they advance and when they are empowered. And so I think it's great for human healing to empower more
0: women. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That that's a, that's a really needs to be underscored. And um, yeah, I love it. I love it. This has been such an enjoyable conversation. And speaking of power, you are a powerhouse. It is absolutely evident that through your experience, you've gained so much wisdom and you deeply understand your community and in that provide really excellent solutions for them and that you're not afraid to have the hard conversations. So I really applaud your work and I want to lift you up for all that you're doing and shining in the world. So thank you so very much. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for asking such great questions. Thank you. It's been so much fun. And if you wanted to leave our listeners with a tidbit of bright light wisdom, what would it be? I'm going to say it simply. It's not your strategy. It's your capacity. Nice. Nice. And you've given them lots of tools to dig deep into what those capacities are and what to do when you know your score. So I love that. Remind us again how people can learn more about you. Yeah, you can go to it's lisafabrega.com. It's L I S A F A
1: B R E G A.com. And again, if you just put your email into the little newsletter sign up, you'll get all my videos for free.
0: I love it, Lisa. Thank you so much again. It's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Yes. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode on women developing brilliance. If so, head on over to Apple iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And I'd be grateful if you could leave a review or rating so more people can benefit from these inspirational stories about the solo journey. Thank you.